Um, I'm going to talk to you today first by recapping what we've said in this series. The first week we said a bold heart is a broken heart. Bold is the key word for this series. When we think about having a broken heart, we want to have a broken heart for the same things that God has a broken heart for. Our God is passionate for lost people. He is passionate for those who are far from him, and it breaks his heart that there are so many people lost and trapped in sin. And what I talked about is that when you look at the number of people on earth who call themselves Christians, and you look at the statistics about how many people die every single day, and you work it out, best case scenario, every hour on earth, about four to 5,000 people stop breathing and enter into an eternity separated from God in hell. It's intense, it's heavy, and it should break our hearts because it's tragic. And what do we do with a broken heart? The Bible says we bring it to God. And when we bring our broken hearts to God, he brings us hope. And hope, 2 Corinthians says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. How many of you are bold tonight? Let me ask you that again. How many of you are feeling bold tonight? Because you have hope in Jesus. That's good. You got to help me preach this message. All right, week two, I said this, we have bold plans. It's good to have a plan. You know, we have faith, but we also want to have a plan. We have a plan to build our church. We literally have plans that an architect made. And we want to have a plan to reach the whole valley of Arizona that starts here and and now it's hooky and then it expands out from there. We're building because we know we can plan ahead and see we'll run out of space. Soon, If we keep reaching people, people keep accepting Jesus, we'll run out of space. And we're not going to just close the doors and tell them there's no more room in the end. So we have a plan to build. A plan to build. And I said this, and this is important, that you can plan to be blessed in your future by planning to be generous today. Did you realize that? You could actually plan to be blessed. Who wouldn't want to plan to be blessed? And you know that you can do this because of the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. The Bible says you reap what you sow. And we know that when we plant, when we invest into the kingdom of God, we'll also harvest. We don't give to God in order to get, but when you plant, you can't help but receive. When you give, you can't help but receive. And here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And you know what's cool about that? Even if you plant a few seeds, you still get something. (laughs) That's pretty great. (laughs) But I want to encourage you, for those of you who are going out on a limb and you're stepping out in faith and you're being bold and you're stretching, the Bible says your generosity will be returned to you by the Lord. You'll receive a generous crop because when you plant, you can't help but harvest. Last week I talked about bold faith and how we should have faith. Faith is what ends our disgrace. At one point we were all lost, far from God, and disgraced by sin. Disgrace means no grace. And it was faith in Jesus that saved us from sin, and that ended our disgrace. It's our faith to step out in boldness and try to reach our community that helps to end their disgrace. We said that history should build our faith. When you think back about what God has already done for previous generations, it should build your faith for what he can do through this generation. When you think personally about what God has done in your life and what he's brought you from, what he's brought you out of, that should build your faith for what he can do in your life going into the future. Amen? 
And then we said that unity multiplies our faith. It's one thing to have faith, but when you know you're part of a team, when you're part of a family, a community of believers who are united in thought and purpose, that makes you feel so much more confident, doesn't it? It builds your faith to go even further. So bold faith is required to give. It is, especially when you're talking about giving sacrificially. And when we have real faith, it always results in action. Real faith always initiates action. And when we talk about the action of giving, some of us might wrestle with doubts or concerns, but I want you to be reminded of Romans 8.32. It says, Since he, God, did not spare even his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Just remember this. If God the Father was willing to give Jesus to save you and allow Jesus to be crucified on a cross to pay the price for your sins, don't you think he will also give you everything else that you need? Yes. Yes. It's nothing. I mean, he already gave Jesus. He proved that he'll take care of your needs. So you can have confidence to listen to his voice and do what he says. And some of you might be listening throughout this service. Keep listening. Tonight, I want to talk to you about this. Here's how to fight as you build. I want to talk about how to fight as you build. When I was a young Army officer, I was going through training and preparing to go join my unit, and I had to go through different type of training scenarios, and oftentimes, it was really difficult. You know, they told me it would be hard, but I didn't really understand how hard. And we were often out there in the woods doing things, and it was cold, and I did not get enough sleep. And I'll be honest, when I don't get enough sleep, I get cranky. Like, my wife, Amy, she only needs like four hours of sleep, and you wouldn't even know. It doesn't phase her. She's a machine. If I get less than six hours of sleep, and you'd think I was demon-possessed. I get all angry, cussing at people. No, I don't really cuss at them. But maybe. I'm all tired. I'm there all cold, freezing, out, you know, places where it actually snows. And I'm like, what is this? I didn't sign up from this. I'm from Arizona. I didn't sign up for the cold. Like, it's way too cold out here. And I was really kind of taken by how hard it was. Those in the environment and those circumstances were difficult. And at first, you know, I didn't understand. I thought that the people that were planning this training, I just thought, well, they're not very good planners. <laughs> they're not very good leaders, are they? They did not plan enough time for us to sleep. They should figure out this whole training thing and get it together. And I thought, you know, they're not good planners. They didn't plan to do this training when it was nice outside. It's way too cold right now. It's way too wet. We shouldn't be out here. This is inhumane. I didn't think they knew what they were doing. And then my thinking evolved and I started to think, you know what it is? <laughs> they're cruel. They are sick puppies and they like to make us suffer. That's what it is. I knew it. But I did eventually figure out that they were actually trying to help us by preparing us for real life. Because in real life, you'll never operate. You won't fight in ideal conditions. It'll always be too cold or too wet. You'll always be tired and stressed out. So you have to train like that so you'll be, so you'll be prepared for what you're gonna face. And it's the same thing for us personally. As we follow Jesus, we're never gonna be building in ideal conditions. We're not going to be building healthy marriages in ideal conditions. At times you'll be stressed out and have bills that you can't pay. You're not going to raise kids in ideal conditions, will you? 
Like you could do everything right as a parent, but then craziness can still happen in your life. And you could have some child that has a lot of issues that you can't control, but you still got to do your best. We're never going to build the kingdom of God in ideal conditions. We don't know when recessions are going to come or when the culture is going to turn against us. So because conditions aren't ideal, we have to learn how to fight as we build. We have to learn how to fight as we build. You have an enemy who does not want you to succeed. You realize that? And storms are coming. Life will be difficult and painful at times. But the good news is that God will not allow any of your pain to go to waste. He will use every trial that you go through to develop perseverance in you, which will equip you to be even more effective for Jesus and even more deadly to the devil. So you got to learn how to fight as you build. In Nehemiah chapter 3, I'll summarize that chapter. You can read it later on your own. But basically it says, everyone in the community came out and they helped build the wall. They helped build the gates. Basically says, these guys helped build this part. And these guys helped build this part. And that family helped build this part. And the point, I think, for us is that it takes everyone joining together in order to actually make a difference for Jesus. Not just one person. Not just a small group of people, but everyone. And, and you know, when it comes to giving and raising funds to build, like we're talking about doing in this campaign, you know, I've learned as I've talked to different people who are more experienced than me, and I've kind of figured out, I don't think we have a ton of rich people in our church. Okay, just, if you're out there hiding, you know, shoot me an email. But what I do think we have is way, way, way more than average. We have way more than average. We have a lot of committed people who are passionate about the mission of Jesus. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us participating. So if you're here like, well, I'm sure someone will take care of that. I'm here to tell you, we need you to participate. We need you. So Nehemiah chapter 4, that's where I'm going to read from tonight. Nehemiah chapter 4 says, Sam Ballot, and he was kind of the bad guy in this story, he was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices and praying and singing worship songs? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? So basically, you guys, Sam Ballot was talking trash about God's people. He was saying, they're poor, they're feeble, or, or they're weak. They're poor and they're weak when they're trying to build a wall with burnt up, broken old stones. And these insults and these accusations oftentimes will get us so worked up and upset. And I don't know about you, but I've had times where people have said bad things about me. Maybe you've had people gossip about you or say mean things about you on the internet. Or maybe that's only me. <laughs> and, 
And when that happens, sometimes, I'll be honest, like it can kind of upset me. And it's easy to get worked up and get distracted. And I should be working. I should be writing a sermon. I should be praying for someone or doing something constructive. But instead, I'll get all worked up and upset. I'm like, I can't believe they said that. That's so not fair. I can't believe it. Did you guys hear what they said about me? Look at this. Look what they wrote about me right here. One star? What? Can you guys believe this? I can't believe they said that I do that. That's not true. I don't do that. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. I mean, come on. They don't understand. And I can get so worked up and caught up. And this is why I want to teach you this. How to fight as you build. You have to stay focused on the mission. You can't be distracted by the insults and accusations of the enemy trying to misdirect you from what really matters. Misdirection is one of the oldest strategies in warfare. The enemy knows if he can get you to look over here, then he can come around and sucker punch you over here. So you can't get distracted by insults and attacks and condemnations. And that happens so often in our lives. We'll get distracted by things that don't matter get focused, worrying about what could happen, things that will never actually happen, rather than actually enjoying the good things in our life today. We'll get so caught up in the day-to-day tasks that don't really matter, and we'll lose sight of eternity. and get so distracted easily. Now, Nehemiah, he could have been distracted by the insults that came from this guy, Sam Ballot. He could have gotten all upset. He called me poor and feeble, talking about our building supplies being burnt. You know, that's not cool. He could have been walking around like me, all immature. Did you guys see what they said about me? Did you hear what Sam Ballot said about me? That's so messed up. But instead, he prayed and he talked to God. He stayed focused on his mission. You have a spiritual enemy. You know that? The Bible calls him the devil or Satan who does not want you to succeed. And he will insult you, he will accuse you, and he will condemn you. He, your enemy, actually calls you poor and feeble. He says you're spiritually bankrupt. You're not strong enough to do what God's called you to do. But the enemy doesn't realize that when he accuses us and insults us, he actually oftentimes is helping us. Because we know what the Bible says. And when he insults you, it can actually help to remind you about what God has already said about you. So he'll say, hey, man, you're so weak. You can't do this. You'll quit. You're not going to last. You don't have what it takes. You're poor and feeble. And then you remember, oh, but in Joel 3, the Bible says, let the weak say, I am strong. Yeah, that's right. I'm strong. And and let the poor say I am rich. In 1 Samuel, it says God lifts up the poor out of the dust and seats them among princes. So you're not poor. You're not feeble. He talks about your broken past. The enemy will point to your broken past and your mistakes and all the things that you messed up and you did wrong and you're embarrassed about. And he'll say, look at your broken life. He'll say, you can't do it. You're not qualified to do it. Your past is broken. You're charred up. You're like broken rubble. God can't build anything great with your life. But God says, yeah, they're broken, but that's the way I like them. He likes to use broken vessels because when God uses broken vessels to do great things, then he gets all the glory. He he sees that there's char marks on your life. And actually, that reminds me that you have gone through a fire. A lot of you have gone through fires of life, but they were refining fires. And God uses them to purify you and prepare you for even greater 
things in your future, to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, for example, which empowers you to be a witness for Jesus. So I'm not mad about the char marks on me and that I've gone through the fire as a living stone. I know God is building your life into something great that will make a difference if you're willing to step out and fight as you build the kingdom of God. We need you in this. In Nehemiah chapter four, verse three, it says, Tobiah, the Ammonite, he was another bad guy who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. So Tobiah was also talking trash. He said, that wall wouldn't even support a fox. I guess that was trash talk in those days. (laughs) And Nehemiah starts praying. And he's praying a pretty intense prayer, isn't he? He's mad. He's like, God, let them be taken captive to a foreign land. Let all their hair fall out and give them hemorrhoids. (laughs) Don't forgive their sins. Don't bless them. The point, the moral of the story is don't get on Nehemiah's bad side, okay? Because when he prays about his enemies, he's not messing around. But in all seriousness, this brings up a good point. When it comes to fighting as you build, you've got to know whose side you're on. There are only two sides to the battle that we fight. There are the friends of God and there are the foes of God. You're either family or an enemy, There is no middle ground. You can't be neutral like Switzerland. You have to pick a side. Until you choose to be on the side of Jesus, you are automatically an enemy of God by default. And I think there are a lot of people in this world, they're they're like, well, you know, I'm cool with Jesus. I mean, he's nice and all, but I don't really want to be a Christian. They don't realize they're actually not cool with Jesus. They're an enemy of God. By default, you've got to know whose side you're on. There are only two sides. There will be a point in the future when all souls who have ever lived on this earth will spend eternity in one of two places. All people who've ever lived will either find themselves in hell, separated from God, eternally suffering, or in heaven, united with Jesus, eternally celebrating. You get to choose your eternal destination. All humanity has a choice. They either choose to reject God or they choose to accept God by receiving Jesus. We as Christians know that by faith in Jesus, who saves us by God's grace, we'll spend eternity in heaven united with Jesus celebrating. Amen? And our mission as Christians is to bring as many people with us as we can. This is the amazing thing about the battle that we're in. As Christians, we get to go to other lost people and say, hey, come with me. I want you to be on the winning side. I want you to know Jesus. Isn't that incredible? I mean, wouldn't it be crazy if we found Jesus and were saved from sin and we got in our little lifeboat and rowed away off into the sunset like, see ya! (laughs) But in reality, God has saved us to also be a part of the rescue. Know whose side you're on. We're on the winning side, and we want to help other people find life in Jesus as well. Amen, church? Amen. I want to see, I want to go to this, verse 6. 
It says, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. Isn't it great when you whistle while you work? Like bump the music. Beep, beep. Let's do this, guys. High-fiving each other. You can just see it. It's beautiful. I love it when people work together. But when Sam Ballot and all of his bad guy buddies heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God, our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Okay, I think this part is really interesting. Before the bad guys, the enemy of Nehemiah and God's people was talking trash. He was talking trash, making fun. They're poor, they're feeble, their rocks are burnt from the rubbish heap. They were laughing, they were talking trash. But then when the people of God actually started to build this wall, they got it built up halfway. The enemy changed his tune. Then he got upset and he started to scheme and plan to attack God's people. He knew, I have a problem here. They're actually doing it. Now, your enemy isn't dumb either. He knows there are a lot of people in this world who talk a good game, but don't actually follow through, right? You know people, you say, and they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. The enemy knows that that's true. And honestly, there are a lot of Christians like that. Can I just say that? A lot of Christians who say, yeah, we want to see people saved. Yeah, we want to reach the lost as long as it's convenient and doesn't cost me anything. So when our church gets together and says, man, we need to build. We need to expand. We need to reach more people for Jesus. The enemy, his first reaction is, okay, good luck. Poor, feeble generation church Christians. But then we actually start doing it, and he gets nervous. He says, "Uh uh-oh. And that's what's been happening. Like, see, we came together as pastors, staff, and some of our core leaders on this last Monday night before our church was going to commit to the bold campaign, and our leaders committed first because biblically leaders should lead the way. And our leaders already committed $806,000, right? And then the the rest of our church, that way they can follow in confidence. So the enemy sees that happening, and instead of being all cavalier, he says, what? What do they do? And he he gets nervous. And when we start to actually do it, he knows he's got a problem. And that's why we have to expect the counterattack. If you're going to fight as you build, you have to expect the counterattack. See, the enemy did not worry about you when you were far from God. He didn't have to mess with you when you were far from God, doing your own thing, sinning all the time, getting into trouble, because he had you right where he wanted you. He didn't even mind when you decided to start going to church, because a lot of people go to church. They never change, though. But then when you started to change and He heard you praying to God, and he saw you reading your Bible, and he noticed you were starting to hang out with other Christians in a life group. He said, what? And then he saw you at church on Sunday and noticed that you were praising the living God and saw you raising your hands. (laughs) And he's like, we got a problem here. And then some of you started tithing. (laughs) And he's like, man, your battle stations. 
this guy's not messing around. He's actually willing to give to the mission? Like, he knows that's not good. And then I know a lot of you have been praying about giving above and beyond your ties to kingdom builders. He knew then. He's like, I'm dead. It's over. It's over. But don't be surprised if the enemy launches a counterattack just when you're closest to a breakthrough. That's what he does. See, I think we're in a spiritual war here for lives and souls in our community. And we are going to see a breakthrough. A breakthrough is coming, right, church? Yes. But listen, a breakthrough is coming, and so is the enemy. Don't be surprised if he starts planning a counterattack. He comes to sow seeds of doubt. He comes to discourage you and bring oppression. He wants to divide God's people because our unity scares him. When God's people are united and actually loving each other the way that we do at this church, that really scares the devil. So he wants to divide us. He'll try to get you to hold a grudge against another Christian at church when she takes her parking space. (laughs) Be mad at some other guy when he says something to you that offends you, because he doesn't want you to forgive them. He wants you to hold a grudge and divide you. He wants to divide. He wants to sow seeds of doubt in your life. Just as your faith is building and you're starting to do what God says, don't be surprised if the devil comes along and starts sowing seeds of doubt. Like, do you really believe that? You really think God forgave you? You really trust the Bible? It was all written thousands of years ago. Do you really think God's going to use you? He wants to sow these seeds of doubt. It's what he does. It's the way that he launches his counterattack. And I'm trying to caution you. you got to watch out for the counterattack. you got to expect it. Uh, don't be surprised if temptation pops up in your life right when you thought you kicked that habit. Don't be surprised if you face unexpected challenges in your life when you were already under the most stress. Right? If people you love start getting on your nerves all of a sudden, <laughs> if you start feeling down and depressed right after a big victory. Right. See, we expect the counterattack because we know we're making progress. Yes. And the fact that the enemy starts messing with you or trying to attack you is proof that you're actually making progress. If you weren't a threat to him, he would leave you alone. The further we go, the harder he fights. And here's the thing. While he's scheming, we keep building. We just keep building the kingdom of God. He can plan and he can scheme. We build. We say, bring it on. Amen. We know that he might scheme and plan a counterattack. But Isaiah 54 says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It doesn't say the weapon won't be formed against you, but it says it won't prosper. Don't be surprised if he starts planning the counterattack, but the Bible tells you it's not going to work. To paraphrase Jesus, he said, in this world, you will face counterattacks, but be bold, for I have overcome the world. That's the bold series, Pastor Ryan translation of that verse. (laughs) Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10 says, then the people of Judah, that's God's people, they began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there's so much rubble to be moved. We'll never be able to build the wall by ourselves. 
Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we'll swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who live near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. Like, I want to tell those guys, shut up already. <laughs> Stop telling me about the, how the enemy's going to attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords and spears and bows. So the God's people were making progress. They built this wall halfway up, and then they started complaining and fearing. We're tired. This is so hard. We're never going to make it. Where do you think those thoughts came from? Do those sound like thoughts that come from God? No. No. And then think about how as you start to follow Jesus in faith and you start to do what God calls you to do and you try to be bold, you're going to start wrestling with some of the same thoughts. Man, I'm tired. This is hard. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know why I'm still giving all this money. I got my own problems. Maybe I should just go back to what I was doing. Where do you think those thoughts come from? Do those sound like thoughts that would come from God? No. No. That's the attack of the enemy. Now, Nehemiah's enemy was planning an attack, and your spiritual enemy is also planning an attack. And do you know how he tends to attack you most often? His number one weapon is lies. Lies. That's his weapon of choice. It's his preferred strategy. He wants to lie to you. Jesus told us the devil is a liar and the father of lies. There is no truth in him. And he knows, the enemy knows that if he can get you to believe a lie, you'll hurt yourself much more than he could ever hurt you. I have to say that again because it was so good. The devil knows if he can get you to believe a lie, you'll hurt yourself much more than he could ever hurt you. He wants you to believe like, man, I'll be happier if I just leave my wife. Man, if I use this pornography, it'll make me feel better. Man, I'll never be able to get over this, so I might as well just do it. He wants you to believe that lie. He wants you to believe the lie that God doesn't love you so that you'll just run from God. He wants wants you to believe these lies because he knows you'll hurt yourself. He can't destroy you, but we can destroy ourselves if we fall for his lies. And that's why we have to do this. We have to always stand guard. If we're going to fight as we build, always stand guard. We know a counterattack could come. Nehemiah, he stationed guards around the people so that they could work and feel peace, not worrying about an attack all the time. And the Bible tells you how to place guards around your heart and your mind so that you can have peace. The Bible says, guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the attacks of the enemy. It says, put on the belt of truth. And if you put the belt of truth on, then, man, you won't fall for the lies of the enemy. Put on the breastplate of righteousness so that when the enemy accuses you and reminds you of your past sins, you won't be discouraged and quit. Fit your feet with the Nikes of peace. Because we're not afraid of the enemy. We don't run. I stroll forward in style looking good. I've got peace on my feet. Put on your head the helmet of salvation. Guard your mind with the knowledge of your status. Pick up the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts of doubt that come from the enemy. Pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's how we fight. The enemy's strategy is to use lies. And that's why our number one weapon is the truth. It's the word of God, the Bible. 
He tries to get you off course with lies. We go back to the word of God. The culture starts to tell us what's acceptable and what's not. I'll check the word of God. Thank you very much. Always stand guard. Tell your neighbor, I'm standing guard. I'm standing guard. Verse 14 says this. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. That is a brave heart speech if I ever heard one. <laughs> Freedom, right? Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. I already read that part. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers, I love this part, carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we're widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it's sounding, then our God will fight for us. So the Bible says there is a threat, but you don't have to fear the enemy because our God fights for us. We don't have to be afraid of the enemy. And I want to emphasize this right now. Our focus as Christians is never meant to be on the enemy. It's not meant to be on what the enemy is doing. We're not talking about how there's a demon hiding in every bush and how the enemy's trying to take me down today. The enemy made me late for work. No, you overslept because you stayed up too late watching Netflix. We're not blaming everything on the enemy. Take personal responsibility. But we're talking about the enemy because this passage talks about the enemy. And at times we do have to be cautioned that there is an enemy. We have to remind ourselves there is a real enemy who is actively working against us, who wants to destroy us. But our focus isn't on the enemy. So as you fight, as you build, you have to do this. You have to remember who? Remember who? Remember who what, Pastor Ryan? Remember who you're fighting for. Nehemiah was building a wall, but it wasn't about the wall. It was about the people who would be protected by that wall. He said, fight for your brothers and sisters and kids, and your spouse, and your neighbors. Fight for them. They weren't all out there risking their lives to build a wall. They were trying to protect and save people. And, And as a church, we're trying to build a building, and buildings are great, especially in Arizona when it's 135 degrees outside. I like to worship inside, amen? But it's not about the building. It's about the people who will be saved in the building. Yeah. That's why people give, and that's why they give sacrificially. Nobody's given sacrificially to build a building and buy a toilet or put carpet down. No, thank you. I've got my own things to worry about. But we give sacrificially because we know that souls are going to be saved and lives are going to be changed. People from your community, people from your family are going to be saved and meet Jesus in that building. That's why we're doing this. It's worth it. Remember who you're fighting for, your neighbors, your co-workers 
co-workers. You hear them laughing in the break room and talking about all their conquests on the weekend and trying to convince themselves that they're happy. And you know that in their hearts, they're broken and longing for more. That's who you're fighting for, right? Remember who you're fighting for. And we know that as we build, it's not going to be easy. There is an enemy who wants to attack us. He doesn't go on vacation. He's out there. We will never build the kingdom of God in ideal conditions. And that's why we have to remember who we're fighting for, but we also have to remember who we're fighting with. We're fighting with the living God. This passage says, then God will fight for us. Isn't it comforting and encouraging to you to think about God fighting your battles for you? God working that situation out for you. God defending your reputation. God dealing with the situation that you didn't even have the power to deal with. God is the one who fights our battles. And as we sing in one of our songs, we don't fear evil because we stand with Jesus. Jesus is victorious. He only wins. He cannot lose. And when you stand with Jesus, it means that you get to share in his victory. Ever since Jesus rose from the grave, that was the day you no longer needed to fear evil. You stand with Jesus. Remember who you fight with so we can build the kingdom. We'll fight the enemy. A hammer in one hand, a sword in the other, because that's what it takes. And it's worth it. Because lost people matter. People matter to God. Your family members who don't know Jesus matter. It's worth building and fighting for them. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.